watching on my, online. Uh, today we continue in our study of Mark, following the servant Savior last week. Uh, next week I'll do a message on Jesus and who He is and His journey to the cross. Uh, the following week will be Palm Sunday, and I'll look at Mark chapter 11, the first 14 verses there. Then we'll take a, a break and do uh, have an Easter message after Easter services, of course, and then we'll pick up uh, Mark chapter 11 after Easter. Um, so we'll have some information to you as well about uh, Easter services and invite cards and all that in the, in the next week or so. Uh, so today we finish up chapter 10 in Mark um, with Jesus staying focused on his journey to the cross. Now in this passage we see an example of a man coming away to meet Jesus. Uh, we'll see exchange, uh, a change of heart uh, and a new excitement in his life. Now remember last week, remember the context and the situation uh, Dr. Harry Fletcher, also known as the Cardinal of the Cape, uh, did a great job giving us insights in the purposes of Jesus and why he came. Jesus was headed to Jerusalem, and he had just given the disciples his third prediction of what was going to happen there. Listen to Mark chapter 10, verses 33 through 34. Listen, Jesus said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priest and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. It's an intense scene. It's an intense timing in Jesus' life. And after the prediction, after this uh, telling of what's going to happen in Jerusalem, James and John come with their mom to make a request to Jesus. And Jesus asked them a great question. What do you want me to do for you? And because of their closeness with Jesus, maybe because of their connection with family, John and James asked Jesus if they can sit by him on his right and left, a, a place of honor and of power. They were looking for a place of greatness and glory. Jesus gently responds to James and John by asking them if they're willing to drink of the cup that he's about to drink of. The cup, the baptism of suffering and death. James and God go, sure, we can do that. Now this is the first time we see that their response starts to cause some division among the twelve. Verse 41 of chapter 10 says that the other disciples became indignant, which means they became grieved. They felt pain about James and John's request. And the message actually says it this way, that when the other ten heard of the conversation, they lost their tempers with James and John. So Jesus has this group of twelve, two of them kind of pursuing their own greatness and glory. And he brings them back to verses 43 and 45 where he says, Whoever wishes to be great must be a servant. For the Son of Man, verse 45, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And he gives them a clarity of why he came. He sums up his purpose in that one verse. Dr. Fletcher last week, Harry said that greatness is not found in self-promotion, but in self-denial. Greatness is not found in self-confidence, but in submission. And greatness is not found in self-centeredness, but in serving others. Basically, Jesus' summary is this. To be great means to sacrificially love 
well, which he models. And after saying this, after re reuniting them and their purpose, he heads out back on the road to Jerusalem. And that's where we pick up the story this morning. The title of the message this morning is, What Do You Want Me to Do for You? So before we get into the story and the message, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for giving us a time during our week where we can come to be encouraged by each other's company and fellowship, to be uplifted in song, to have our hearts tuned and lined up with you in worship. And now, God, we come to your word when we open it. We pray that your spirit would teach us in all wisdom and all truth, that your spirit would give us information that would lead to transformation in our lives. So God, I pray this morning as we bow our heads before you that you find your people here ready to receive all that we're supposed to receive by your grace and by your mercy. Would you take a minute and pray for the person in front of you, behind you, beside you, that they would hear, receive, and respond to the Lord this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52 to the end of the chapter. One of my favorite stories of Jesus and his miracles with an individual. <clears throat> then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but they kept crying out. he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up, he is calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Three simple things to take away from this passage this morning, and they are the request the response, and the result. So first, the request. Verse 47 says, When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, meaning he's getting louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 51, And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to regain my sight. There's the request. But before we get into the actual request, in verse 46, it says that they came to the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho, Shelly has the uh, mouse, which is right there. See Jericho? She's circling it right there. And you see Jerusalem. Jericho and Jerusalem. Jericho is believed to be the oldest city in the world. It has many significant um, stories and events that happen, especially in the Old Testament, it's known as a location where God has performed. 
If you remember, Jericho was the first city conquered by Israel after crossing the Jordan River and occupying the Promised Land. After the death of Moses, God selected Joshua, the son of Nun, to lead the people of Israel. And under the Lord's direction, they entered Canaan. And the first city that they came to was Jericho. That was the city standing in its way. And so what does Joshua do? He sends spies into Jericho, and the spies get connected with Rahab. And Rahab hides the spies and protects the spies of Joshua's people. God gave Joshua, remember, specific instructions about Jericho that they were to walk around the city one day, uh, one time a day for six days. And on the seventh day, the priests were to, to blow the ram's horn. And on the seventh day, the walls of Jericho would what? They would fall and they would crumble and they would take over the city. All were destroyed except... Rahab, and the spies, and her family. Now, after the destruction of Jericho, Joshua then placed a curse on anyone who tried to rebuild Jericho, Joshua 6, 26, and that actually comes to fruition later on. Jericho remained unoccupied until the times of Elisha and Elijah. In the New Testament, Jericho was also the place that Jesus encountered the wee little man, who is... Zacchaeus. Remember, it was Zacchaeus that Jesus encountered in Jericho, and it says in Luke 19 that he goes to Zacchaeus' home, which was probably one of the nicest homes in Jericho. Now, not only was Jericho a great, historical, biblically um, packed event place, it was also an important place in regards to the journey to Jerusalem. Jericho is here, and Jerusalem is there. Jericho is a place where, to avoid Samaria, people would go through Jericho. Now, one thing about Jericho's roads is that it was a dangerous road. It was a road leading from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was infested with robbers and thieves that would hide behind the stones that were all around Jericho. In fact, if you remember the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. All this is Jericho. And in our passage today, it is Jericho where we see Jesus and Bartimaeus. Jesus and the disciples were following the route from Jericho to Jerusalem. It's about 15, maybe 17 miles distance between Jericho And I want us to understand this scene because I want us to understand that this is a real place with real people at a real place in time. Now the main road that hundreds and hundreds of pilgrims used to get to Jerusalem ran through Jericho. And at any time a distinguished rabbi or a teacher would come down this road, many people, hundreds if not thousands and thousands of people would come and clamor to see who was on the road to Jerusalem, what rabbi was teaching. In fact, one commentator said, and historians said, that it was a law that every Jew, male Jew over the age of 12, was required to go to Jerusalem at some point. And so all these people are headed to Jerusalem about this same time around Jericho, around the time of the Passover. So the streets were packed. Why? As one commentator said, because they wanted to see this daring young Galilean who had set himself against the current religious leaders. Now, how many of you were 
able to go to the Hilton Head St. Patrick's Day Parade last week. How many of you braved Savannah's St. Patrick's Day Parade? That's the, that's the atmosphere. That's the context. Four, five, six people deep, all packed, wanting to see. That's the context of Jericho in this story. And at the northern gate of Jericho, there is a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus, Bar-Timaeus, son of Timaeus, who is crying out. In the parallel account of Luke, in Luke 18.36, it says that Bartimaeus began to inquire about what was happening. In other words, remember, blind Bartimaeus can't see, so he is here. Everything he's trying to understand is through his hearing and his senses. And so he starts hearing murmurs, footsteps, crowds coming, and he begins to ask, what's going on? And they tell him, it's Jesus of Nazareth that's coming. You got this scene in your mind? It says that Bartimaeus began to shout. He had to, if he was going to be heard over the crowd. So he begins to shout even louder. Why? Hoping that he would attract the attention of Jesus. Now stop just for a second. Bartimaeus was a blind beggar, an outcast, somebody in poverty, put on the edge of the city, by the gate, needy, isolated, poor. Can you in any way identify with Bartimaeus in the sense of there is a longing deep inside of you to be noticed, to have Jesus notice you, to see you, wanting so bad to have the attention of Jesus in the midst of what seems to be a loud crowd that you want to be noticed. You ever felt alone? Ever felt blind, not seeing or understanding your situation or hoping that you can find and, and understand a solution? You ever feel stuck, not sure where to turn to? Ever wanted to cry out, really scream for help, for mercy, for grace? to cry out over the crowd and all the other voices, to let out a cry so deep, so meaningful, so loud that it gets the attention of Jesus. I think we can identify, maybe even learn something from Bartimaeus because Bartimaeus appealed to Jesus and he says to him in verse 47, have mercy on me. Mercy is defined and described in Scripture as compassion, pity, loving kindness, a, a move towards hurting. Commentators say that Bartimaeus' cry is not vague or impersonal, but in fact it is very personal. One from being familiar with misery, unworthiness, and helplessness. There was a deep desire for Bartimaeus to be heard, to be validated, to be affirmed. Longing to feel worthy instead of worthless. 
But there's also something else about Bartimaeus that we learn. He cries out because of a strong confidence in Jesus. He didn't cry out to anybody else that was going through on the road. He cries out to Jesus. And Bartimaeus got Jesus' attention, and Jesus asked him to be more specific with his request. request. What do you want me to do for you? Now, this is the second time in 13 verses that Jesus has, been asked, has asked this question. The first time, he asked it from two arrogant brothers. And we saw the response. This time, he asked it of somebody who is in self-denial, submission, humbly longing for a touch from Jesus. And we see Jesus' response is different. Bartimaeus gives Jesus a specific request. He says, I want to regain my sight. Now here is an open confession from Bartimaeus on who he believes Jesus to be, the healer. You don't say those things to somebody who don't, you don't think that can heal. And so Bartimaeus says, I want to regain my sight. Healer, Jesus. Now this verb for regaining sight can be uh, translated as two different ways. It may be uh, he had his sight and then he lost it and he wants to regain it. Or it could be that he's never seen before in his life and he wants to see for the first time. We don't know for sure. But what we do know for sure is that he's asking the one who can do both. Bartimaeus was placing his faith in Jesus to bring healing to his life and give him his sight back. And here's what the point I want to make. Bartimaeus knew exactly what he needed and wanted, what he's longing for, what was in his heart. And he knew who God put in front of him. Now, let me ask this. Have any of you ever had a toothache? Have you ever had a toothache? Now, when you have a toothache... You don't go to the foot doctor, right? And then when you go to the dentist, you don't say, I have a toothache, and then they're going to pull every tooth. You want the specific tooth dealt with, right? And when you go to the doctor, and after they've given you a physical, and they say, well, this is something you might need to focus on. You want them to focus on that specific thing for you, right? It's the same things in our lives with Jesus, that we go to Jesus with specifics, the one who can heal the specific things. And just like when you go to the doctor, there's a time of examination. There's a time of, and a process to diagnose what it is that needs fixing and healing. With you and the Holy Spirit, God, here I am. Asking the Lord questions for specifics and letting Him diagnose our hearts and pinpoint the needs we have in our lives. It's not just praying, God, give me a different attitude. It's, God, give me a different attitude towards my spouse, towards my kids, towards this situation. It's specific. God, make me a loving person. To who? To those people that it's hard to love. Your spouse, your kids. Your... <laughs> Bartimaeus was specific. I want to regain my sight. And when we go to Jesus with specifics, I have found that specific things start to change. Now notice too in verse 46 what Bartimaeus calls Jesus. It's not a name, it's a title. He says, Jesus, Son of David. Now since this is the first time we see this title 
in Mark, I thought we might take a quick look at it. Now, it is recognized that Son of David is a messianic title, and it will remind the Jewish people of their divine promises of King David. Now, if you remember back in 2 Samuel chapter, 12, chapter 7, verses 8 through 16, God makes a promise to David that the Messiah is going to come from his descendants. In fact, verse uh, 12 and 13, God says to David, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And if you go to Matthew chapter 1, you read the genealogy of Jesus. Verse 1 says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David. So Bartimaeus is accurate. Jesus, son of David. It's a title. Which to me already gives me insight into Bartimaeus' thinking about who Jesus was. Now think with me just for a second. Go back with me into the context of what they're going through. What has been going on with Jesus in Jerusalem, in the surrounding areas at this time? What has Jesus been talking about with the disciples, trying to get them to get? That he's the Messiah. And Bartimaeus is recognizing this. But this has also been the very things that put him at odds with the religious leaders, to the point that they were going to spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And here's Bartimaeus agreeing that he's the son of David. This proclamation is the very reason Jesus was in trouble with the Pharisees. In fact, it could have been, in their view, a title of treason. Yet Bartimaeus calls out all the more, louder. It wasn't a title to throw around. And Bartimaeus is aligning himself with God's promises as Jesus being the son of David. In fact, it could have been dangerous for Bartimaeus to align himself with the son of David. So it reveals something about Bartimaeus' conviction about who he was crying out to. In the face of much opposition, he was bold in his desire and request, sure of his need, and yet confident of the healer. So what happens next? We see the responses. How many of you have ever been approached by a beggar? Now, I've been approached by beggars before in, in cities like, you know, Savannah, Atlanta, Charlotte, Boston. Been approached by beggars in other countries like Turkey, Africa, and Kenya, and Israel. About a month ago, I was approached by a beggar on Hilton Head. And I'm not, I'm not sure how you respond to beggars coming to you. But if I'm honest with myself and I'm honest with you, I get a little nervous. I get nervous, maybe it's because I, I didn't grow up with being around beggars all my life. I get nervous about how I'm supposed to respond. I get nervous that if I don't respond the right way, how they're going to respond to me. So there's just like this tension. There's this uh, unfamiliar territory when beggars approach. I'm not sure how I would have responded to Bartimaeus, especially when he was getting loud. But we see three different responses in verses 48 through 50. And the first is the response of the crowd. 
verse 48 says, Many were sternly telling him to be quiet. Now, the modern-day translation from the Greek is this, that they were telling him to shut up. Bartimaeus, pipe down, be quiet. Now, there's not really an understanding for sure why they were telling him to be quiet. Maybe it was because he was identifying with the Son of David title. And they were saying, be quiet. Maybe it was because that if word got to the religious leaders that he was aligned with the Son of David, there was going to be this incident. There was going to be this interruption of my uh, trek to the Passover uh, meal in Jerusalem. Just be quiet. But most scholars believe that Bartimaeus, quite honestly, was just being a nuisance. You're a beggar. You're an outcast. Don't bother the rabbi. For whatever reason, the crowd was telling Bartimaeus to stay put and to be quiet. And I just want to draw a parallel that the response of the crowd is always going to be present when we cry out for Jesus. That there will always be a crowd to try and silence our cry for Jesus. That crowd can take on many shapes and sizes. The crowd can be people who tell us that Jesus is not worth it. Forget him. Be quiet. That Jesus will never offer what we need for satisfaction. That Jesus is going to cramp our style. That Jesus is going to rob us of any fun. He's going to leave us feeling worse than before. So just settle down about all this God stuff. But there's also a voice of the crowd that comes from the inside. An interior voice. This this voice of doubt. This voice of discouragement. A voice from a failed past. A voice of... Jesus really wouldn't want to hear from me anyway. We can have a voice inside of us that is loud. How many of you ever done that thing called self-talk? The problem is we listen to ourselves. A voice of insecurities or or a voice of not being welcomed or worth it. A voice of self-condemnation of I got myself here. By my own choices, this is what I deserve. The voices of this crowd's outside and the voices of the crowd inside, sometimes they get to talking. And they work together to silence the longing of Jesus in us. And no matter if it's coming from people or from an interior life, the crowd can be a hindrance to our crying out to Jesus. Bartimaeus had a crowd telling him to shut up. And I'm convinced so do we. So how does Bartimaeus respond? Well, that's the second response to the request that we see. Bartimaeus cries out all the more and follows Jesus. The crowd tries to get him to shut up and he gets louder. And verse 49 is one of the most beautiful scenes to me about Jesus. It says that Jesus stopped and called him to him. And in verse 50, we see Bartimaeus' response, throwing aside his cloak. He jumped up and came to Jesus. Many people, many people will hear the call of Jesus to come, but we don't do like Bartimaeus and jump up and follow Jesus. We say this, Hang on just one second. 
let me make sure everything is going to be okay before I do this because I just need to make sure. I want to get some things settled. Bartimaeus jumped up and ran to Jesus. One commentator said this in regards to Bartimaeus' response. Certain chances in life happen only once. Bartimaeus instinctively knew that. Sometimes we have a wave of longing to abandon some habit, to purify life of some wrong thing, to give ourselves more completely to Jesus. So very often we do not seize the moment to act on it, and the chance is gone, perhaps never to come back. Bartimaeus jumped on it. He's calling for you. Throwing aside his coat. He ran to Jesus. Now, don't forget this. It's easy to forget. But don't forget that Bartimaeus is blind. He can't see. Everything he's experiencing is not from his eyes. Blind beggars in those days would secure their spots. They would secure whatever belongings they have, even if they were a few. Their pouches of money, their sandals, their blanket, uh, their pillow, an extra coat, whatever they had, they knew exactly where it was. It was, it was a fixed thing around them because they could feel for them and know where they were. They knew where their blanket was and their mat the same is true today. Blind people put their things where they know they're going to be so they can find them. But Mark gives us an interesting detail in verse 50. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. Now, why did Peter tell Mark to write that down? Why is that so interesting? Because it doesn't happen. It's not the normal thing of a blind person to throw aside their cloak. And maybe there's two possible explanations. The first is that Bartimaeus no longer wanted that way of life so bad that he was definitely throwing it aside, never to return to it. Jesus was going to give him a new life. Whatever comfort he got from his cloak... It also hindered his running to Jesus. He left it behind. But there's another reason, which I think gives insight even more to Bartimaeus' faith. He threw it aside because he knew after he met with Jesus, he would have his eyes restored so he could go back and find his own blanket. Both of these are responses of faith. Both of these are throwing it aside because of who you are running to and what you will receive from him. I'm convinced we need to come to Jesus the same way Bartimaeus did. With the desire to get rid of and throw off anything that hinders us. The old way of life. To never think about returning there and have a faith to know that Jesus is going to give us new eyes to see life with. So many times we come to Jesus and we ask Jesus to do things on our own terms in our own way. But Bartimaeus is a clear example of settling in our minds that Jesus is worth it, more important than the voices we hear. Now there's a third response we see and is that of Jesus. First we see the crowd, then we see Bartimaeus, and now we see Jesus. Jesus says, verse 50, call him, go, 
your faith has made you well. Now, I'm not sure exactly what Jesus saw, but I like to think that Jesus saw Bartimaeus, this blind man, throw off his cloak. And that was the faith that he's talking about. Bartimaeus, you throwing off your cloak and coming to me, your faith has made you well. Now, it's pretty clear, both historically, culturally, biblically, that Bartimaeus would not have had any education on who Jesus was. He didn't have formal training. He was a beggar, an outsider, an outcast. And it's a great point. In spite of not knowing all the details of theology, all the intricacies of the law, he still came to Jesus. One commentator said this, The demand is not that we should fully understand Jesus, which we could never do anyway. The demand is for faith. Is theology important? Yes. Do we need correct doctrine? Yes. But is it imperative for us to have complete and thorough understanding of Jesus before we ever come to him and ask him to do a work in our life? No. You don't have to have everything solved and settled and secure. That's what Jesus is for. And that's what Bartimaeus received. One author said this, Christianity and following Jesus begins with a personal reaction in response to Jesus. It is a response welcomed, generated, and motivated by God's love and grace. Following Jesus begins and is matured with the conviction that Jesus is the one person who can meet our deepest needs. So the application is this. You don't have to wait to come to Jesus. You don't have to figure it all out before you come to him. Jesus' response to Bartimaeus was not on what Bartimaeus knew. He says, your faith has made you well. And here's the last point. What's the result? Verse 52. Immediately he regained his sight and began to follow him on the road. Bartimaeus receives or regains his sight, and he immediately follows Jesus on the road. Now, we don't know if he went back and got his cloak, we got his other belongings, but we do know this, he followed Jesus on the road. And where was Jesus headed? Jerusalem. What so impresses me about Jesus there was a crowd. It was busy. And here's one person crying out, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped because he had time and he made time for a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. And here's the point. Jesus always has time for those who are crying out to him. One of my most frustrating things about my life, and maybe you can relate, is I always feel like there's not enough time. Not enough time to get this done. Not enough time to get that done. Not enough time to be with these people. Not enough time to be with those people. Not enough time for even myself. But Jesus always has time for those who cry out to him. Psalm 121.4, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber, 
Second Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his, who's crying out to him. Jesus has time for you and me. And he calls us to come to him and receive all that we need. Notice that Bartimaeus received his sight and he followed Jesus. It didn't say he received his sight and says, thanks Jesus, and then went on his way. I've been healed, now let me go do whatever I want with my life. His attitude was totally different. He followed Jesus. His life was one of gratitude from being healed to follow the healer. Luke also gives us another insight of this story that both Bartimaeus and the crowd, and the crowd, glorify God. Bartimaeus may have been a beggar by the wayside at the beginning of the story, but now he was a man of gratitude, a man of loyalty following after Christ. Having received his sight, he followed Jesus. Watch this progression. Bartimaeus recognized his need, cried out with a conviction that Jesus could meet that need, and finished his life with loyalty with the one who made his new life possible. This is the perfect summary of what it means to follow Jesus. I want to close with a few questions. The first one is this. What are you crying out to Jesus for today? What's your request? If Jesus was here, which he is, how do you answer his question to you? What do you want me to do for you? How do you answer that question? Is it generic or is it specific? Again, this is not like Aladdin rubbing the genie lamp. Jesus pops out, I'll grant your three wishes. This is real life stuff. This is deep spiritual stuff. Emotional, mental, physical, relationships, past hurts, desires for the future, healing, help. Jesus asked us, what do you want me to do for you? What's the cry of your heart? Some here may be wanting to cry out for forgiveness. Some may be wanting to cry out for salvation. Some may be crying out for hope. Like Bartimaeus, is your conviction of your need causing you to cry out even louder when the voices say, be quiet? The second is the response. What is your response to Jesus' call? Jesus said to Bartimaeus, call him over here. Come to me. Are you running to him, throwing aside any and every hindrance? Hebrews 12.1 says this, Let us also lay every, aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Does Jesus see your faith throwing off your cloak because he's so worth it. Throwing aside his cloak, he came and followed Jesus. A few years ago, maybe two years ago, I think we got our oldest son, Rivers, for Christmas one year, a, uh, a weighted blanket. I think it was Christmas. Anybody ever, have, ever slept under a weighted blanket? 
if you've ever tried one, it's like pulling up a blanket that's like 12 or 15 or 20 pounds, whatever you get, and then you're just, you're just done. I mean, you, you just, you can't move. You just lay there. Like this weight is on you. And then you try to get up, and you try to move your leg or anything. It's just like a chore. Like it's like hard. And then you get up the next morning, you got to lift this thing off. And I, th- I know you're thinking, Matthew, you're pretty weak if you can't lift off 12 pounds. But compared, <laughs> compared to your blanket, it is like incredible. You're not free. You're stuck. And I'm convinced that some of us have been living under a weighted blanket. A blanket of false security. A, a, a weight of discouragement, a weighted blanket of, of doubt and fear that has just immobilized us. Anxiety and, and a control to, to make sure everything's in line and we just get so weighed down by this. And I think it's time to follow in the footsteps of Bartimaeus. Throw that thing off. Laying aside every encumbrance He came to Jesus. So my prayer is that Jesus would see our faith as we throw off those blankets. And the final thing is this. We had the request. There's the response and the result. Is your gratitude of Jesus' healing leading you to loyalty? An attitude of gratitude. Is my life lived in a continuous mode of gratitude to the grace and mercy shown to me by the redeeming work of Jesus? Does Jesus' healing result in me following him? Because I realize he's the one who's healed me. It's a great interaction with Jesus and Bartimaeus. But it's also a great interaction with Jesus and me and you. I think this is the interaction Jesus wants to have with each of us this morning. Jesus is passing by. What is the cry of our heart? What is the request? What is our response to him? Bring him to me. Is it a life of loyalty and gratitude? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this story and I thank you for this morning where we can come to a a place in the service where we open your word and we read about you and about us. God, we mentioned Jericho as a real place. Real people. A real Jesus who gives grace and mercy. So God, this morning I pray that you would Meet us as we throw off anything that holds us back from running after you. That we would meet you. That you would heal us. And that our lives would be loyal to you. We trust you with the results of that in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs)